Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. It's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation. Bill Zimmerman with you, and boy, oh boy, listen to that song. It's never sounded sweeter as the NFL season is here. We are just about a week away from actual football, and I am excited that this Bears season is finally here. There's going to be ups and downs. This is going to be an interesting Bears season, but it should be a fun Bears season, and we should learn a lot as this season develops. I'm excited for my guest this week. It is a tradition. He's been on at least the last five or six years to preview the season. He is Aaron Limming, of course, of Windy City Gridiron and the Bear Report. He will be by here in just a little bit, and we will dive into everything with Aaron. But first, just want to talk a little bit about this Chicago Bears roster construction with the 53-man roster that has come out and, of course, a couple of these these waiver claims. I'm not too excited about these waiver claims. There's not too much for me to get into with, with these moves. I will talk about the trade with Feeney, and I will talk about Taylor, Trent Taylor, I think Trent Taylor is a move that had to happen, and it's because Valus Jones and Tyler Scott were just not punt returners. They, 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 they just can't return punts. You cannot trust them. I was on Football Night in Chicago you know, last week, and I said he's it, Valus Jones is a danger to have back there. I, I, I didn't like the clip, actually. It said Valus Jones is a dangerous punt returner, and usually that means that you think he is a threat to score. You know, Devin Hester was a dangerous punt returner. No, Valus Jones is a danger to have back there because the odds are just too high that he's going to screw up. And I get that he's a nice kick returner. I just don't think kick returns matter much anymore. You get the ball at the 25-yard line, you get a kick returner that's averaging about 26, 27 yards of return. You're still not getting much more than, than what you're getting there. And a lot of times when they return kicks, they don't get to the 25. So I'm not a big fan of Valus Jones being on this team to return kicks and maybe be a gadget guy here or there. They're carrying seven receivers right now to literally just, you know, shoehorn Valus Jones onto this roster. He has no role right now. He is officially a guy that, you know, is just kind of sticking around here to see if he can find his footing. But he is that he is just fading quickly at this point in terms of being a guy that will do anything, anything this this entire offseason or this entire career at this point with the Chicago Bears because he just he hasn't shown enough. I understand the speed. I understand what he what he can bring to the table, but it's just not enough to justify who he is as a player. And, and I think 
You know, if they can just figure out a way to keep him around, they'll keep him around and give him one more off-season slash preseason to prove he should be a part of this roster. But that is certainly trending in the wrong direction, that they had to go out and get a punt returner. Literally, Trent Taylor, I'm sure he'll see some offensive snaps, but he is on this team to return punts, and that that is a wild situation that Jones and Scott, I don't blame Tyler Scott, he's not much of a punt returner. They just tried him there because they literally didn't have anyone else. That was Valus Jones. You know, uh, Taylor is on this team because Valus Jones couldn't do his job. Period. End of story. So we can talk all we want about everything there. But bottom line is Valus Jones. This move to Taylor signifies that Valus Jones is is heading in the wrong direction right now. In terms of the edge, I would have liked to see Terrell Lewis stay on this roster. I assume he's going to make it back to the practice squad. We'll see. I like the fact that this guy could just get after the quarterback. They don't have enough. Apparently, Matt Eberflus does not like guys who get after the quarterback and don't stop the run, but Yannick Ngakwe is on this team, and he said, oh, he's a good run defender. No, he's not. That's okay. He's here to rush the passer, but let's not pretend he's something he isn't. So I, I would have liked to see Terrell Lewis stick, but you know the Travis Gibson thing was way, way overblown. I mean, look, Travis Gibson is a below average defensive end, edge, whatever you want to call him, outside linebacker on a different scheme, whatever you want to call Travis Gibson, he is below average. To me, Travis Gibson is a bad third defensive end and a good fourth defensive end. That's where he is on an NFL roster. And you know how I feel, the rest of the league feels about that? They probably agree because Travis Gibson cleared waivers. His salary have two and a half million, whatever it is, is too rich for 31 other teams. He went unclaimed. So Bears fans screaming and yelling that Travis Gibson needed to be on this roster. No, he didn't. And that proves it. That's the one thing I think we as Bears fans tend to do. We hype up our own players. I'm sure other fan bases do it too. We hype up our own players so much that we lose sight of the fact that they really aren't good enough to be rostered by other teams. So Travis Gibson, this whole Rasheem Green sucks. Travis Gibson needs to be on this roster. Look, Rasheem Green is a pretty good defensive end. No, he's not going to get 12 sacks. But the bottom line is, you know, Travis Gibson's eight-sack season two years ago was an anomaly. He doesn't generate that much pressure. That was a bit of a fluke, you know, a, a kind of a lucky statistical season. Green was absolutely a better player than Travis Gibson was last year. Go watch the tape. Don't let. Don't believe me. Go watch the tape. Go find Rasheem Green tape. Go find some some Texas tape, and go find some Travis Gibson tape, and watch them play. Green is a better player. So Bears fans who were screaming and yelling because Rasheem Green was quiet on you know thirty snaps on the defense or whatever he had, and Travis Gibson was dominating third string tackles. Slow down. This is preseason. I mean, when you see something like Tyson Bajan emerge with P.J. Walker woefully playing, Rasheem Green wasn't woeful. Rasheem Green was quiet. So the, the, the fact that this, t- this fan base got so hyped up over Travis Gibson, to me, was just a ridiculous, ridiculous argument to be had. I've been telling fans for a long time I didn't see Travis Gibson fitting on this roster, especially once Yannick Ngakwe was signed, and, and that certainly, certainly was the case. Now, one other thing I want to address here, because I'm going to have a long conversation with Aaron, so I don't want to spend hours and hours and hours on this. But I do want to talk about the Darnell Mooney train rumors. 
because Brad Spielberger, Brad, first of all, Brad's connected. Brad knows what he's talking about. And, and I know he got piled on pretty good for putting Darnell Mooney in an article about a potential for a surprise trade. Brad never said that the Bears were shopping Darnell Mooney. But here, here's what I do know. I know that Darnell Mooney wanted a contract extension. He And look, he has not been quiet about wanting to stay with the Chicago Bears and how much he loves playing with Justin Fields. He wanted a contract extension. And I guarantee you, he wanted a contract extension before the season started. But with that whole salary floor we kept hearing about, once they signed Ngakwe, they hit the necessary floor where they did not have to worry about their, their, their spending at that point. So they did not have to extend Darnell Mooney or Chase Claypool or Jalen Johnson to get to that floor after the Ngakwe signing. If I'm Ryan Poles with Darnell Mooney coming off this injury, you do not extend Darnell Mooney at this point. You make sure that Darnell Mooney is healthy and playing well and has that Justin Fields connection, and then you extend him, kind of like the Broncos did with Cortland Sutton, who I believe was extended in November. That's the time that Darnell Mooney should be extended. So I can tell you that I know that Darnell Mooney was not thrilled with the fact that he did not receive a contract extension. I am confident in saying that. And I have a feeling that that's exactly kind of what Brad Spielberger was hinting at, was the fact that Mooney did not get a contract extension. I don't know if there was an offer. I, I don't know exactly what the situation was there, but clearly there was nothing. You didn't even hear that they were in talks or they weren't close or anything. There, there really just wasn't much of a conversation there at all. I'm sure Ryan Poles wants to make sure Darnell Mooney is healthy before he will, you know, and, and can perform at the level that they expect him to before they engage in any kind of extension. And, and I think that's where that came from. So, no, I, I don't think, you know, Bears fans were freaking out. But again, if you don't look at headlines and tweets and actually read the article, you can actually see what, what, what Brad was saying. So let's all slow down there and take a deep breath. Nobody was saying the Bears were shopping Darnell Mooney. And before we wrap up and get to Aaron, just one thought on this offensive line, because I am not having a ton of faith in this offensive line right now. I told you all along, I don't trust Cody Whitehair. Now he's over at left guard and not center. And now we're basically, it's week one, and we are dealing with backup quality centers who are going to start at center. Lucas Patrick and Dan Feeney are not starting quality centers. I assume because Patrick's been here longer, if he's healthy, he'll be starting against the Packers. But it could be Dan Feeney. I, I don't know. We'll have to see how that develops here over the next week and a half. But they're not good. All right? They're not terrible, but they're not good centers. So when the Bears made no effort to address center, you know, they could have drafted someone like Luke Weipler in, in, in the sixth round who had a nice preseason for, for Cleveland. They could have done, you know, John Michael Schmitz was the guy they could have taken in the second round. They could have done it in the draft. They could have signed a couple decent centers. They chose not to do it. They decided that they were going to move Whitehair back to center. And now you're sitting here in a situation where he's back at left guard. Tevin Jenkins is hurt. Tevin Jenkins is hurt again. And, you know, it seems like Cody Whitehair is back out at left guard. And we're not hearing much about Cody Whitehair going back to center. So when Tevin Jenkins is healthy here, you know, I assume it's going to be early October. I'm curious what's going to happen here because the Bears don't seem eager to get him back out on the field. And they don't seem eager to get Cody Whitehair back over to center. So 
I'm looking at an offensive line where Darnell Wright will continue to improve all season, but Darnell Wright probably won't be great out of the gate. Nate Davis, I assume, will be the solid vet that he is, but Nate Davis hasn't played, may not be solid out of the gate. We've got a backup quality center. We've got Cody Whitehair, who I don't trust to stay on the field at left guard, and you have a solid left tackle in Braxton Jones. That is who is going to be trying to keep Justin Fields upright. I do not trust this offensive line again. I think losing Tevin Jenkins off this offensive line, which you had to expect. I did not expect it to happen before the season started, but there is just too much evidence that he cannot play. I tweeted it out, you know, after Tevin Jenkins got hurt. Do you realize he's only played 100% of the offensive snaps six times in his career? I understand it's only two years, but six times, that's not a lot. Even when he plays, he gets hurt in game and misses a few plays here or there or misses the end of a game, and then he's back next week. He cannot stay on the field, and it's a problem. Ryan Poles is not going to commit to Tevin Jenkins, and this injury, as crazy as it sounds, might have been the nail in the coffin. I mean, I expect Tevin Jenkins to be out there because I also don't expect Cody Whitehair to be able to play 17 games at left guard. So Whitehair and Jenkins are going to be interchangeable there. I'm just not a fan with the center approach. And now, like I said, we're looking here at Dan Feeney. I did not love trading a six-round pick for Dan Feeney. Again, I am not losing sleep over trading a six-round pick. But I, I just really don't. I see Dan Feeney as a stopgap guy this year. I don't see Feeney as probably a guy who's going to be on the 2024 roster. And she gave up a draft pick for him. I, I just don't love that. I don't think that's a, you know, a successful way to build an offensive line. They needed depth. I get that. There were a couple guys I would have considered uh, you know, for waiver claims, they chose to to go the trade route. They didn't have a seventh round pick that was already off off the, uh, you know, out of the bucket, so to speak. So they had to trade a six. I'm guessing they probably tried to do like a 2025 seven or a 2025 six. Couldn't make it happen. They 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 wanted Feeney, so they went out and got him again. Not losing sleep over a sixth round pick, but again, you are trading away capital for a below average center who, as far as I can tell, is a stopgap guy. So I don't love this offensive line. I don't love what they have at center. I am not a Doug Kramer guy. I know he's on the 53 right now. I don't expect that to last more than a couple weeks because I, I do have I have a hunch they're going to move over and, and add a six linebacker. You know, I think at this point what Doug Kramer may show is that Michael Walker, who they released, they can sign back after week one at a reduced salary and not have to pay. Kind of same thing as kind of like Travis Gibson. You know, he can get signed back. He won't make that same salary with a new team. Walker can get signed back after week one, and then the Bears can pay him basically the vet minimum and have him as part of their linebacking group. And then they can cut Doug Kramer, send him down to the practice squad because nobody's picking up Doug Kramer. I don't care if PFF said he was solid in the preseason. He's not good. He, I just don't see a future with him on this on this roster. So I don't love this offensive line. I think it's going to be a problem. I do think it could get better as the season goes on, largely because I think Darnell Wright will improve. Darnell Wright and Nate Davis's chemistry will improve. But now you're going to sit here again, like I said, Cody Whitehair, prove me wrong. Prove to me that you're the guy from four or five years ago still who is a solid, above-average interior offensive lineman. I don't think he is anymore, and I don't think he can stay healthy. So 
I have big questions about this offensive line, and we will talk about that with Aaron Lemming. We will talk about Justin Fields with Aaron Lemming. We will talk running backs, receivers, tight ends, Luke Getze, Matt Eberflus, Ryan Poles, defense, offense. We will cover it all. He's coming up next. This is Bears Banter. Bill Zimmerman. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, welcome back into the podcast. Excited for this guest. This is something now, it has become a tradition. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when it started, but it's been at least five years. This is even going back before both of us were working with Windy City Gridiron before our paths merged here on one common website. He is Aaron Lemming at Aaron Lemming NFL, of course, covers the Bears for Windy City Gridiron and the Bear Report. Aaron, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, looking forward to this conversation. Absolutely, man. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about it before, and I'm still – I know it was at least 2018. It might have been 2017, might but yeah. Either way, yeah. No, I, I was thinking about it last week before you hit me up. I was like, we gotta, we gotta do this. We can't break tradition now, even though the tradition clearly hasn't done the Bears any good. But no, not, right. not, not too much. But I, I just don't think that was necessarily our fault. <laughs> <laughs> probably not. Probably. Uh, but yeah, let, let, let's get into it. You know, do our, our full season preview here. Kind of look at this team from top to bottom. But let's start since it is very fresh. Let's start on the waiver wire and the fifty-three man roster. I mean, look, the bulk of this, I think, turned out the way most of us were expecting it to with a few surprises. So I guess let's start at quarterback with that move first, then we'll get into some of the other ones. Obviously, P.J. Walker, not on this roster anymore, only keeping two. As of the time of this recording, Nathan Peterman has not found his way to the practice squad. I still expect that to happen. But right now, Tyson Bajan is QB2 and the only other QB on the roster what is your thoughts on that? Because this is where I kept getting stuck. If Justin Fields gets hurt with the Bears up 20 to 17 in the middle of the third quarter in a game, nothing crucial, nothing critical, but enough that he's going to miss the rest of that game. If you are Luke Getze and Matt Eberflus, do you trust a Division II quarterback with no NFL snaps to hold on to that hold on to that lead and lead you to victory that's what's something that we may find out at some point in this season so where are you with Bajan and the move here to not have a veteran on the 53 well if you ask his old uh, quarterbacks coach at a uh, shepherd he's he's ready to take the starting job so he, he it was, that was a whole i don't know if you saw any of that on twitter last night he got a little upset because he thought matt uh matt Eberflus took a shot at him um but here's the thing right I, 
we're, we're talking about even if we're not talking about an undrafted rookie, uh, even if we're not talking about a Division two rookie, like we're still talking about a rookie quarterback, right? It, 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 we've seen the same thing with Trubisky. We've seen the same thing with Fields. Asking any rookie to come in in the middle of the game is asking a lot, and and I think that that's kind of the risk that you're taking, right? At least in my opinion, where you're saying. We really like what Tyson Bajan may be able to become, but at the same time, we're going to have to go through some growing pains, which kind of leads me to believe, kind of like you, where it's like Nathan Peterman. I, I mean, if he's got other offers, great. But I, I mean, it's Nathan Peterman we're talking about here. I mean, the guy's sat on practice squads what the last three or four years. I don't think it's really that big of a concern. But yeah, that's that's a bridge that they have to they have to come to. And and I think at this point in time, you're kind of looking at this this entire season, and you're saying. Obviously, the playoffs will be cool. This team isn't contending for a Super Bowl. So how big of a deal is the backup quarterback if you're looking towards the future? And I think that's the risk that they're going to have to kind of weigh one way or another. And at least right now, um, you know, obviously it is a little bit of a risk. But at the same time, I, I don't disagree with it. Yeah, no, look, Bajan earned a spot. And I've been, you know, I've been preaching for the last couple of weeks that I think you have to put him on the 53 because of the fact that they, he could have been stolen because of the fact that you, you know, t- some teams will put a third quarterback on the roster and let them let them develop. So I was fine with that. And look, the way PJ Walker played, <laughs> you can't fault them for making this move. And it's not you keep hearing about PJ Walker having this established pedigree as a backup quarterback, which I think is a little bit of a stretch. This, you know, this is not you know a guy who's been around and been a backup, you know borderline starter for several years this i understand xfl mvp and all these <laughs> these wonders here with pj but you know he did win a couple of games he flashed a couple of highlights but when you pull back and look and i'm i'm one i will be the first to admit that box score scouting is bad and i did not go back and watch pj walker games in carolina but when you did if you just looked at the numbers the numbers were underwhelming for most of the games he played yeah no i i mean Let's be honest here. If the XFL hadn't happened, I don't think many people know nor care who PJ Walker is. And that's not a slam on it, but that's just to say, like, you go back and you look at his numbers and he's had what? How many starts has he had? He's what, eight overall? Seven. I think he's four and three as a starter. It's like, you know, it it just is what it is at this point in time. But I think when you really go back and you watch what he did the preseason – a lot of what he did in the preseason was a lot of what he did when he was in Carolina. Like you go back and you watch a lot of those games. So I somehow, some way I ended up watching a decent amount of PJ Walker when he was starting with Carolina and the accuracy was always an issue. It's like the guy has arm talent, but he's also one of those, like the decision-making has never been there. There's a reason that he went to the XFL. There's a reason that he was in the XFL to begin with. I mean, you just talked about carrying, you know, how many teams carry three quarterbacks on the roster, how many teams carry two quarterbacks uh, on their main roster and then one on the practice squad. Like if you really start thinking about it, you know, you say there's 32 teams, let's just say, you know, the majority of those have three quarterbacks somewhere there. I mean, you're talking at least 90 guys. So at one point in time, the NFL deemed that he wasn't one of the top 90 quarterbacks that were worthy of being in the league, whether that was good evaluation or not, whatever. But at the same time, it just feels like the XFL thing kind of carried over a little bit more than it should have. Um, I mean, you know, we talk a lot. I honestly, when they signed him and they, they gave him a two-year deal that early in free agency, why? You know, like well, what they had in Trevor Simeon was no different than what they had in, in a guy like Peter, or, sorry, in a guy like PJ Walker. Well, look at that. They're neither one of them on 53 man rosters right now. So it's, 
I, you know, again, when you when you look at it, a lot of the teams that have good backups right now, a lot of those good backups happen to be guys that were either drafted or that teams have developed on practice squads or as number two or number three quarterbacks. So I think the Bears are at least moving down the right path. But again, much like the rest of this roster, it's a young roster. It's an unproven roster. It's going to take some time. All right, let's do a couple more of these waiver claims before we kind of get into the actual bulk of this roster. Let's go over to offensive line. Construction there for the 53 was a little weird. They had to keep 10 offensive linemen because of the Tevin Jenkins injury and, you know, the Dan Feeney trade and everything. So let's let's talk about Feeney here because six-round pick, I'm not losing any sleep over trading a six-round pick, but I also thought it was kind of surprising that they decided to make a trade. I get it. He's a vested veteran. He doesn't necessarily get, you know, you can't claim him like some of these younger players. So the Bears, you know, Feeney could have gone wherever he wanted. Maybe that was a risk Bowles didn't want to take. But, you know, didn't have a seventh rounder either. So it made the trade a little more complicated. I don't love giving up draft capital for Dan Feeney, but I do understand his versatility to play inside. And I do understand the fact that, you know, we just don't know exactly what's going on. Cody Whitehair is slid over to left guard. We don't hear a lot about Cody Whitehair going back to center. Lucas Patrick is there. I don't know why Doug Kramer's on this 53-man roster right now. Because <laughs> even if Cody Whitehair's not a center, he's still your third-string center. I don't know why you need a third-string center on the 53. But with this, with Dan Feeney here at the at the bottom of the offensive line, you know, depth here, were, were you pleased with the move or did you question it? I, it just kind of is what it is. I mean – Here's the reality. If you just go off of an, and again, kind of like you said with PJ Walker, I would be absolutely lying if I've seen any of, you know, a, a full game of Dan Feeney. I mean, let's just be honest. I haven't. But if you go back and you just look at, you know, basic metrics, sacks given up, stuff like that, or even look at his PFF grades, I mean, and I know a lot of people aren't going to like to hear this, but he comps very similarly to a guy like Sam Mustafer. So, I mean, it's not Sam Mustafer, thank God for that. But at the same time, it's like how uh, how good can a guy be? I mean, it, I think it's even crazier. Miami gave him a one-year $3.25 million deal at the beginning of free agency. That's, it was signed on March 16th, which is just absolutely insane to me. But I, here's the thing. I, I think what it comes down to is I think that the interior of the Bears' offensive line right now is so banged up and they're so, for lack of a better word or term, injury prone. And you got Tevin Jenkins, and obviously we'll get to that, but you got Cody Whitehair who's banged up with a you know bad snapping hand who was originally going to be their center. All of a sudden they're acting like they're great with him at guard again. Uh, Lucas Patrick hasn't been healthy since the minute he signed his contract. Honestly, wouldn't shock me if he somehow had a paper cut when he physically signed the contract. Like it's just at that point where you don't have many options. Um, and especially if you're talking to a guy that can play center and like you pointed out, it's like, if they're not comfortable with, with Jatari Carter um, at left guard or right guard or wherever starting, then there's absolutely no way you can be comfortable with a guy like, uh, you know, Doug Kramer starting at center. So I get it. But again, it's kind of one of those things where you go back and it's like, yes, they made some moves on the offensive line, but did they do enough? And I think especially when you consider the fact that Nate Davis has had an injury history, uh, Lucas Patrick had an injury history last year. Um, and obviously, you know, starting out camp already had one as well. Cody Whitehair has not been healthy in years. I mean, doesn't, doesn't miss a ton of time, but he still misses time. I think when you, when you balance that and you can say, Hey, we have some good talent there, but at the same time, these guys can't stay healthy. I think you've got to do a little bit more than that they did. And unfortunately, like you said, you're not losing any sleep over a six-round pick, but I think it's 
it's still a value, a perceived value versus what you gave up for in a player. And let's be honest, I mean, Dan Feeney, by all metrics, is a below average player. So again, we're we're going back to whether it's Lucas Patrick, whether it's Dan Feeney starting at center, you're talking about another below average player that is starting on your offensive line for at least four games. And that's kind of unfortunate. Yeah, and that's the thing for me because, and I'm with you, I know people are expecting uh, improvement this year. Of course, we all are. But 2024 is the target year for this team to really contend and compete. And I look at it and go, is Dan Feeney going to be on the 2024 roster? I would say, now look, maybe he'll be in competition with Lucas Patrick to sign as a backup interior offensive lineman. That's that's always a possibility, but it's 50-50 at best, and you mm-hmm. did give up a little capital just for this season. So that's why I, I question it a little bit. But let me move over to another offensive move, and this is a move I like. It's actually a special teams move, and that is the signing of Trent Taylor, a very good punt returner. Punt return is something I have been squawking about for the <laughs> entire month of August because – Bayless Jones is not a punt returner. He he can't handle it. Tyler Scott did better, but Tyler Scott's hands are not something you can trust right now either. And punt returns cause too many problems. You know, I don't care that Bayless Jones is a good kick returner. I don't really care about kick returns. I'll take the ball to 25 every time if I can. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not even worried about kick returns. I worry about punt returns. Muff punts, you know, misjudging punts. They go over your head. You get downed at the three-yard line. There's so many issues that a bad punt returner can screw up the offense. And, and I just was very concerned that they weren't putting enough thought into it. Taylor is just to me, a move that makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think, I think as soon as he got cut, I think, you know, Bears fans collectively everywhere were like, that guy, that guy makes the most yeah, sense. Yeah, you got the, the seagull, the seagull <laughs> meme with the Bears, Bears. Exactly. exactly. Like that, that, that was the move that was like, okay, this one makes sense. Because, I mean, it's like you look at his contract uh, with, with Cincinnati this last year, he's basically making veteran, veteran minimum. That's what he'll make with the Bears. He's not going to be much of a receiving threat. That's fine. They don't they don't need that at this point. I think what's what's most funny about this though, is especially listening to Ryan Poles talk today. It's it was one of those things where you can just tell he is holding on the the slimmest, flimsiest thread possible that Valus Jones Jr. is somehow magically going to become some player uh, that they can at least justify taking in the draft. I mean, at this point in time, we already know taking him in the third round, that was a huge mistake. I, I I know you were in the same boat as I was. That was a huge mistake in the moment. It's become evidently an even bigger mistake now. But I think at this point in time, you just have to find a way to justify the fact that you even drafted the guy. And right. it's unfortunate because they're carrying seven receivers now, and you're looking at it, and it's like, you know, you got Tyler Scott who – you know, I love I love Tyler Scott. I think he's going to be a solid player for the Bears. But let's be honest, he really didn't have that great of a camp after the first week. Didn't do anything in the preseason. Uh, Equinemia St. Brown, we also know, you know, basically what's going on there. But it, it's just one of those things where you kind of look at this move and you say you're carrying seven receivers and you have basically three redundant guys in a sense, not in terms of punt returners, but you have three guys that basically aren't going to see the field that much. Um, so I like the Taylor signing. I am a little confused, I guess, that they're going to carry seven receivers when, I mean, the majority of last year, there were, what, four or five active guys on the 53. So it's like if one of those guys is going to be Taylor, at best, you're going to have basically your three main starters and then, I guess, one of Tyler Scott or EQ St. Brown. But I just don't like, – you look at it right now, they don't trust Bayless Jones Jr. to be a punt returner. They can hold out hope that he's going to be one. But when you really look at it, it's like, 
what's his purpose on this roster? Is he just simply going to wait for an injury or is he just going to sit and be a healthy scratch for all 17 games? Cause that's where it's trending. Yeah. He, and that's the thing, like, like you said, he really doesn't have a purpose on this roster other than the fact that he's literally the first offensive player that Ryan Poles brought in. And while I give Ryan Poles a lot of credit for some of these moves he made cutting PJ Walker and cutting Alex Leatherwood, I didn't love the Leatherwood move last year. I know a lot of people said, Oh, they got plenty of cap space. It was a free, you, you still didn't need to claim him. And you didn't need to claim that salary. That was always my issue with that move. That was a lot of guaranteed money. They tried it out for a year plus, and they ended up eating over $4.5 million on Alex Leatherwood for a shot in the dark and on something that may or may not work out. And most of us who saw Alex Leatherwood play said, eh, that, that's more <laughs> likely not going to pan yeah. out based on how he was with the Raiders. So I, I, I was impressed that that polls made some of the moves he made, but in the end with, with, with Vegas Jones. And, and like you said, in the moment, that was one of those ones where I just sat there and went, I, I do not comprehend this move at all, but you know, it, it is what it is at this point, but you know, <laughs> in, in the end you can sit there if you're Ryan Poles and say, all right, PJ Walker, we shouldn't have brought him in for 2 million, Alex Leatherwood. All right. It's time for him to go at four and a half million. You end up eating almost 7 million with those. Um, but in the end with Bayless Jones, having Ryan Poles cut ties after one year with him, it's just, that's a little too much flexibility to, to, to ask a GM to have. Well, it is. And I think too, if you're holding out any hope that he can actually be like a legitimate NFL receiver. I mean, you also got to look at this from the, the, the fact that, you know, both Darnell Mooney and Chase Claypool are going to be free agents next year. So even if you're not counting on him to start, you're probably still going to need at least another receiver next year. So it makes sense, but it's just one of those, man. I mean, it wasn't even – and that's the thing. It's like we're not talking about like a comp pick in the third round. We're not talking about a pick in the 90s or the 100s. I mean, we're talking about a guy that was taken, what, in the 70s? Yeah, I think Pick, so. Yeah, so it's like it's one of those things where you're looking at it, It's like, I don't know, man, but it is what it is at this point, and I think that – it's relatively common, especially for the Bears, to have those spots where you're kind of looking at the roster and you're like, okay, well, this is a log jam. Like offensive line is kind of the same way. It's like, okay, I get that they're going to put, you know, Tevin Jenkins on IR, but do you still need nine linemen with, you know, uh, three of the four backups being, uh, you know, being interior guys and one of those guys only being able to play center? It's just there are definitely spots where they're going to kind of have to work out some kinks, figure some things out. Uh, luckily the practice squad does make things easier in terms of they call up guys. They can kind of mix and match a little bit, but it's the, the overall construction and some of the decisions. It's like, we can't, at least in my opinion, we can't praise Ryan Poles for being able to admit a mistake and move on when it involves money. Like a guy like Alex Leatherwood, like a guy like PJ Walker, but then completely ignore the fact that Valus Jones Jr. is basically like a wide receiver 7B, um, like a last, last option, and not at least question why Valus Jones Jr. is still on the roster. Because, again, it's not a money thing. It's a simple, you threw away a third-round pick last year. A lot of people saw it coming. Uh, you know, for those of us who were not drinking the Kool-Aid that he was Debo Samuel 2.0, um, oh, you know, so it's like <laughs> – it's just one of those situations where it's like we can't praise him for moving on when you should, but then just kind of look the other way with a guy like Bayless Jones Jr., even if it's not as important of a position. All right, before we get to the, the big preview here, a couple more to discuss. Let's just get to defensive back. Not sure if you have a big opinion on this one or not, but Quindell Johnson waiver claim 
brought in at safety. I didn't like the fact that Thomas made the 53 because I thought he could easily slide to the practice squad, which is, I think, where he's about to end up because clearly he was just a placeholder for them to find a better safety because the one thing, and again, not going to scream and yell because Eddie Jackson and Jaquan Brisker, assuming they're healthy, which Mm -hmm. is tough to assume, (laughs) uh, they're going to be out there for 100% of the snaps, snaps at safety. But the depth at that position wasn't good, so they 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 you know they make a waiver claim to try and bolster that. Yeah, it's um, it, I feel like it's you're basically throwing a dart at the dartboard at this point, right? I mean, it's kind of the same concept as AJ uh, AJ Thomas, or if they had kept Kendall Williamson or whatever. I mean, you're talking about guys that that are going to be at the bottom of the depth chart, and I. I I don't really have a giant opinion um, with the move just for the simple fact. I mean, this is a guy that was literally an undrafted free agent this year. A lot of people had him as either a back-end seventh-round pick or an undrafted free agent. Not to say that he can't pan out because I think when you look historically and you look at DEBs and how they fare later on in the draft or as undrafted free agents, they usually have a slightly higher hit rate than other positions. But again, I mean – I mean, let's just look at the six waiver claims that they made last year. I mean, how many of those guys are still on roster? I think it's what Josh Blackwell and Jalen Jones are the only two. Right? Well, no, Jalen Jones was already there. So it was just Josh Blackwell. That's the only guy that's still remaining from that group. So as much value as we put into this in the moment and as exciting as it is in the moment, the reality of it is kind of like Josh Lucas said on Hogan Johns the other day, the last you know six or seven spots in the roster are completely interchangeable at any point in time. You could literally close your eyes, throw a dart on the dartboard of you know a, a collection of players that you may be interested in, and you could make the move. So I think that's just this is what this is. Maybe it has some upside. I'm not going to do a film dive in on it because I don't care that much about it. And frankly, <laughs> this is probably not going to be something that we're going to be talking about five weeks from now. So, all right, and we'll we'll wrap it up with the edge room, kind of a two point question here first one is trevis gibson against rasheem green because that was obviously they kind of ended up going head to head in fans eyes whether they were in ryan poles and matt eberflus's eyes we don't know but in fans eyes they were kind of going head to head for a position green is a guy that poles brought in gibson is the pace guy Gibson was not very good last year. I know a lot of Bears fans are trying to tell me he was better once, uh, you know, it, before the Robert Quinn trade. I don't care. I, I, I saw a guy that was unproductive, bottom line, and I was, you know, I didn't have him on my 53-man roster projection for a couple months. Bears fans told me I was crazy, but here we are. And I will also say Travis Gibson was not claimed by anyone either, so no other, no of the other 31 teams thought he had value at that salary at a minimum i think he'll end up somewhere here you know in the next uh next couple of weeks but you know he's still not with a team at present and of course terrell lewis who i did like his speed off the edge and kind of the things some of the things he could do ends up getting waived today i don't know exactly you know practice squad i don't know exactly how that's going to shake out for him for their one other waiver claim which of course was khalid kareem from the colts so how do you kind of feel kind of overall about the back end of this edge room yeah, um, well, Ryan Poles talked about that today, and it's very clear that Matt Eberflus um, mainly definitely prefers guys that can defend the run over rushing the passer. And I, whatever, man, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't agree with that assessment. I'll just put it that way. I would rather have a guy and Terrell Lewis that can actually, you know, consistently enough get after the quarterback, and maybe he's bad against the run. That is what it is. Versus a guy like Rasheem Green, who may be better against the run, but he's basically a you know a block wall that doesn't get to the quarterback. So 
you know, the, the overall thought process here is, again, much like the, the, the guy that they claimed uh, at safety is when you really start looking at this, it's like we, we did the same thing last year with uh, uh, Kingsley Jonathan, where we're like, you know, diving in, doing these film dives and, oh, he did this in the preseason. He had this many sacks and all this, you know, all this upside. It's like the reality of it is this guy's been in the league three years now. Right. He's got one sack. For as much as maybe Bengals fans wanted to hype him up because that's where he was drafted, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. The reality of it is, is he's a year four guy that is probably on about the same level as everything else that they had. I think the difference is here is he's got better size, he's got better length, and he can stop the run better. So, okay, we'll see what happens. I mean, to me, the more, again, kind of going back to last year's draft, where for the most part, I thought the Bears did pretty well, but. You look at a guy like Dominique Robinson. What has Dominique Robinson done to deserve a guaranteed spot at this point in time? He's a reclamation project. We knew that coming out of college, he'd only played a few years uh, at defensive end. I get all that. But at the same time, like you need more than just Yannick Ngakwe to be able to rush the passer to actually be a good pass rusher. And, you know, you look at a guy like Demarcus Walker and I don't know, like, he was better rushing as an interior guy. So Absolutely. it's like if you go to the NASCAR package, right this five seconds where you're going to have Yannick Ngakwe out on the field, you're going to move Walker inside, who's your third defensive end? Because you may have five names on the roster, but who's going to be that, that third defensive end out of those last three guys? I mean, objectively speaking, I don't know that you could say, at least with a guy like Gibson or especially with a guy like Lewis, you can say, hey, even if Lewis sees 15% of the snaps – it's okay because he's going to be out there rushing the pa- passer in those type of packages. If it ends up being a run play, it is what it is. That's not his purpose. But now you're looking at guys that they may not have three good edge rushers to be able to pull off the NASCAR package to be able to kick one of these guys inside. Yeah, and that's and that's exactly what I was going to bring up. You 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 think of that like third and six plus third and seven where you almost are certain it's going to be a pass if you have Ngakwe with Terrell Lewis out there. Just say. Get after the quarterback, mm-hmm. bump Walker inside. Maybe you pair him with with Pickens or something like that, who we do know can create some interior pressure. You might be able to get a pass rush going. But you know, now I mean, are they going to keep Walker outside? Are they going to be able to get interior, you know, pass rush? It, there's a lot of questions on that DL, which which we'll get to here in a minute. Uh, and then last thing for you, I'm just going to ask you if you think this makes sense. It's just something I've been playing with here in the in the last few hours. So the Bears have 26 on O and 24 on D, and they only have five linebackers, which I am surprised about because of the fact that Ryan Poles brought in about 77 linebackers <laughs> to try and get linebacker depth he was happy mm-hmm. with in August. So when I look at this, I kind of wonder, is Doug Kramer holding a spot right now? And because they're a little questioning on what they have at center, keep Kramer on the 53 for now. After week one, you drop him down to the practice squad. It opens up a spot with the 26 on O and 24 on D. Now you're at 25 on O. Bring back a linebacker like like Michael Walker, Michael Walker, to be that sixth linebacker. Now you've got balance on your roster and you've got six backers. I think it absolutely makes sense because I think when you're looking at this team right now, um, like you said, I think one – I'm honestly shocked that they didn't do something at linebacker today. I figured even if it was simply because here's the thing, and this is something Greg Allman, uh used to cover the Bucks. He now covers the entire NFC South um, for Fox Sports. We were talking, so basically he, I can't remember what it was, but I think he was actually the one that broke uh, the fact that the Bears claimed him a few weeks ago. And I quote tweeted it and basically said, this is very likely a tryout for Walker, and if they like him, then they'll probably cut him and bring him back 
at a more discounted rate because he was one of those guys like, you know, Kendall Vildor and Gibson where you look at their, you know, they're in the fourth year of the rookie deal. They're a late round pick. They get that escalator. He's making $2.7 million. You're not going to pay a fifth or sixth linebacker $2.7 million. So I actually thought they would cut him yesterday and I figured he was going to be one of the moves uh, that they made today. I still think it makes absolutely makes sense um, because now you have Micah, Micah Baskerville down on the practice squad. You can call him up at any time. You can kind of hide him down there or develop him, whatever you want to do. But, yeah, I do think linebacker is definitely one of those spots where ultimately I think they'll end up making a move. And and who knows, maybe even a, you know, even a spot like tight end, depending on what happens. Uh, you know, I, I know everybody likes the idea of a 39-year-old Mercedes Lewis being the blocking tight end, but how many times have we seen guys that they come back from an offseason and they don't look like the same player anymore? So, they definitely have some flexibility, but the, the way that the roster is built, not even in terms of just the 26, 24, 25, 25, but just how heavy they are at certain positions, is, is it's definitely a little uncommon. But I say that, and then the Colts literally have three receivers on their current roster right now. So, <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, a, it's, it's a, an odd time this week here as teams try and finagle their, their rosters and try and sneak guys through and protect them and whatnot. But all right, en- enough of the fringe players. Let's get into the meat and potatoes here. Let's flip back to the offensive side of the ball and no point, no point burying the lead. Let's start with Justin Fields who, you know, uh, I'll, I'll be honest, the Justin Fields-Jordan Love com- conversations going on on Twitter, I can't, or X, whatever we want to call it these days, <laughs> I can't take it much longer. I, I really need week one to get here for, for better or worse. But Justin Fields coming into this season, we know he's got things to work on. We know Ryan Poles tried to do the best he could this offseason to support him with protection and with weapons. So where are you looking for Justin Fields to improve? And are you confident that Justin Fields is still going to be the guy to prove that he is a, you know, top 10 quarterback in this league and a guy that the Bears are going to extend in a year or two to a massive contract? Well, first of all, man, this whole Jordan Love, Justin Fields thing is, like you said, it's out of hand. And I'll be honest, man, again, it's just preseason. I don't think Jordan Love is going to be nearly as bad as a lot of Bears fans think he's going to be. I really don't. I, I I don't know, man. I just have a weird feeling. I'm not saying he's going to be elite, but it wouldn't shock me if he ends up being in that like 12 to 15 range and he's above average. Let's just put it that way. But as far as his fields go, I mean, ideally, Tevin Jenkins doesn't get hurt. We're talking about an offensive line that played together all throughout training camp, you know, got some even the 30 snaps that they got in, in the preseason. You're feeling pretty good about him. Uh, reality of it is, is that there's probably going to be some issues on the offensive line, at least early on. This is already going to be a group that had a lot of inexperience on it. That was going to take some time to kind of grow a little bit. Now we're talking about a, you know, an offensive line that's going to be missing a starter. They've already shuffled the guy. Um, I, I think for me, the big X factor, the big thing that I'm looking for Justin Fields this year, we know he can throw the ball deep. We know he can run the ball. We know that he is a huge threat, uh, especially with his legs. But I think the big thing is, can he speed up the mental processor um, can he consistently start making throws in the middle of the field? Can he start hitting the intermediate and the short stuff? Because I think that that's going to be where his game is going to grow the most. And I think that's a huge needed factor for him. And and that's really where obviously the offensive line is going to play a part. But I also think, like you pointed out with receivers, I think that that's going to be huge, especially with a guy like DJ Moore. Uh, as far as how I feel about him, I'm still optimistic. Um I, here's what I'll say. I, I do think Justin Fields is going to be a good quarterback. I, I, I have the optimism there, but it, 
it does feel like as the offseason has progressed, it feels like Bears fans have kind of more and more and more assumed that he's already arrived. When I think when you look at his, like historically, when you look at his numbers as a passer um, and the efficiency ratings, historically speaking, they've been really, really freaking bad. And, and really, like there hasn't been many quarterbacks that have been able to dig themselves up and become really good quarterbacks. I'm not saying it can't happen. I expect it to happen. But I just feel like the expectation going into the season for Justin Fields is it's so extreme. It's either he's going to be absolutely terrible and he's a bust and everything's going to fall apart. and This is going to be worse than Trubisky or Justin Fields is going to hit the ground running and he's going to be an MVP candidate. And we're not even going to know who Lamar Jackson is anymore because Justin Fields is going to be the latest and greatest thing. Like there's not a lot of in between where I think in all reality, like he may not start off as hot as he ends up, right? Like we're not looking for, at least me, I'm not looking for a guy that's going to come out and just light the world on fire like Jalen Hurts did last year and stay that way. You know, uh, Josh Allen did the same thing a few years ago. Like I'm looking for a guy that's, there's going to be some growing pains because there are new weapons around him. There's a new offensive line around him. There's not nearly the amount of talent that there was in Philadelphia with Jalen Hurts. Uh, I think you could probably make the same argument for the same thing in Buffalo. So I think for me, I'm definitely still optimistic, but I do think that a measured approach is needed with Justin Fields. And I think one way or another, um, I, I think that we have to understand that this is probably not going to be a thing where he comes out and throws for 350, 400 yards and five touchdowns yeah. of week one. You know, And that's just kind of where it's at. I think realistic expectations, especially early in the season, are going to be huge. Yeah, and I think you know, I understand there was a big – you know, focus point on improving the pass game. You could see it with, you know, Darnell Wright being a far more established pass blocker than run blocker. So, you know, the, the weapons they brought in clearly Tanyan and and, and Moore and, and having Claypool and Mooney, like we understand they want to improve the pass game. That's obvious, but a lot of Bears fans think that this is going to become a passing team. And to me, this, this is still a running football team and they are going to focus on the run, but, but before we kind of get into offensive scheme and some of these other players, one more thing about Fields. Let me ask you, and that's obviously the legs. We know how dangerous they are. We know how terrified defensive coordinators are of his athleticism, and it's awesome. We know that he's going to get spied a lot. That's going to be less less defenders out there, you know, for for him to deal with in terms of, you know, in terms of you know getting players open. So it's wonderful to have, and he is obviously going to be a threat every time the football is in his in his hands, which is every play. But that being said, how much do you want to see Justin Fields run this year? Are you comfortable with him running as much or close to as much a last season? Or would you like to see that, you know, reduce quite a bit? Because that's been a big debate that I've seen a lot around Bears fans here is how much Justin Fields should run. And I like the idea of the threat of Justin Fields running more than the actual you know, yardage that he can pick up. And I get it. And I'm not saying I want to, I want to neuter the guy and take away a huge part of his game, but I want Justin Fields as the quarterback of this team when he's 32, 33, 34 years old. And if he runs as much as he did last year, continually moving forward, that's not going to happen. He just won't hold up. That's, that's my opinion. Well, and I think he nailed it. I, I, Dude, if he rushes for 1,100 yards again, something went wrong, and we're probably talking about them drafting a quarterback this coming year. I just – I don't think it makes any sense in the world for him to have to run as much. And, again, you're not talking about taking away the threat. You're not talking about taking away the natural instincts and ability that Justin Fields has and makes him 
a quarterback with such a high ceiling, even if he's a slightly above average passer. Like it, it's just the situation where his, history shows us, even with a guy like Lamar Jackson, right? You know, a lot of these rushing quarterbacks, history shows us that over time, quarterbacks will not stay healthy playing that style of football. And I mean, we've seen it with Justin Fields the first two years he's been in the league. Even when he's been named the starter, he still missed time his rookie year. And obviously again, last year. Now, some of that is probably because of the quote unquote tanking, but there were also times when he was actually legitimately hurt. And I think that again, kind of going back to the whole Tyson Bajan thing, I think that's why there is a little bit more talk because the bears haven't had a quarterback that has started and played every game and God knows how long. And Justin Fields, I didn't come close to that so far. So I think the running has to be there, and I think it will be there. But, I, again, I would like to see him more in, like, the 750, 800-yard range where, you know, like the more natural aspects come in and maybe every once in a while you scheme something up to keep him protected. But even for as big and as athletic as he is – the more that he's running as a quarterback, the more threat that there's going to be for an injury. And obviously the offensive line would drastically help that as well, because it feels like half the really hard hits he took last year were due to the offensive line and protection. But still, like you, you, like you said, you want a guy that, especially you start looking at some of these other quarterbacks, you want a guy that's playing at 34, 35 years old at a high level. You don't want to see Justin Fields be really good like Cam Newton was and then just start fading off, right? You don't want to see that. You want to see a guy that can sustain it for a longer period of time. And I can tell you right now, he keeps taking these injuries. I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. So speaking of keeping Justin Fields upright, let's move over to the offensive line. Because the offensive line here is interesting. I never liked the plan with Cody Whitehair. And I, I've said that frequently, having him at center. Now it doesn't look like that even is going to matter. Uh, <laughs> so we've got Dan Feeney and Lucas Patrick, who are clearly the center one and center two. I don't know who's starting week one, but I would assume Lucas Patrick because he's been around and knows the system. But looks like week one, the offensive line is going to be Braxton Jones, Cody Whitehair. Uh, I'm going to say Lucas Patrick for now, unless we see different in practice. And obviously Nate Davis, who we have not seen practice much or, or you know, obviously preseason games. And Darnell Wright, you know, who got banged up a little bit at the end of the year here. So it looks like, or end of the preseason. So that looks like the week one offensive line. That's certainly not the, you know, Washington Hogs of the 1980s or the Bears line of the 1980s or the Cowboys line of the 1990s. This is not exactly a, a stalwart line. It does have room for improvement. And I think there's the possibility this, this offensive line could get better as the season goes on. But there's still a lot of question marks here. And if I'm Justin Fields, I'm still a little nervous lining up behind these five. Yeah, well, and I agree. I think especially early in the season and the, obviously the Tevin Jenkins injury brings it a bigger concern. But I think regardless, you know, one way or another, you're, you're looking at an offensive line that was going to take some time to kind of gel anyway. Right. I think the big things, if you're a Bears fan, that you're hanging your hat on this, this point is <clears throat> there's a much higher ceiling on this group than there was last year. You're not talking about. Riley Reef starting at right tackle or Larry Borm, where you already pretty much know his ceiling is going to be a fringe starter or, you know, solid swing tackle. You know, I, I think really the big thing is right now is I, I, I wish they would have either signed and or drafted a center that actually could compete that brought some upside. Because again, right now, I mean, we, we just named three guys that could play center for them. Cody White here, uh, Lucas Patrick or Dan Feeney. You know, those guys are all either 29, 30, or 32 years old. Like, th there's not a whole lot of future there. And quite frankly, with the last two, there's not a whole lot of upside either. So it's 
it's a little disappointing in some ways, but I do think as the season progresses, I think this has a chance to be at least close to an average offensive line. And I think really the big thing is if they can continue to run block, uh, the pass blocking, again, it was just preseason, but the, the pass blocking did look considerably improved uh, in the preseason. The depth does look better than it did last year. I mean, you're not talking about signing Michael Schofield off the street right before preseason starts and, and hoping that he's going to be one of your starting five. So it's, it's not going to be a plus unit. Um, I think you can say the same thing about defensive line, but it, it, there's definitely a path for improvement. There's a path forward to where I think we can end this year and say, if Nate Davis comes back and he plays well and he stays healthy and your two tackles, you know, they grow the way that they're supposed to. All of a sudden you're talking about having three of your five spots figured out. Maybe you roll white hair another year. Maybe you say, okay, these are the two spots we're attacking now. Roll one of these guys into depth and keep it, keep it moving. But there's still a lot of unknown here, and I don't think – like we talk about the ceiling. I think it's a better ceiling, but I don't think the ceiling's super high. Yeah, and I, I think the ceiling's not super high because of how limited you are in the interior part of the offensive line. You know, Nate Davis, he's a pro. He should be good. I don't know if he's going to be good out of the gate. We'll see if he gets that rust off quickly because he just – he has not practiced. He has not played. And and we'll see on that when he's he's finally out there. Hopefully that doesn't matter for him. And, and the fact that the upside guy on the interior is Tevin Jenkins. And before we get off offensive line, I want to ask you about him because I love the way Tevin Jenkins plays. When, you know, he is a guy when, – when it's first and ten and I'm expecting a run, I watch Tevin Jenkins because he's just – as a guy who likes offensive line play, he's just – just fun and you you just never know when you're going to get just one of those monster pancake blocks he just rolls out several a game but that being said i think you know at this point in his career at two plus years with the amount of time he's missed and this calf injury that he's dealing with here is bizarre because he played in the joint practices in full, I, I talked to guys on the beat, and as far as I know, he he played completely. Then, you know, all of a sudden he got hurt and basically exercises the next day. No one seems to have an exact idea to the point that, he, I mean, he's out at least the month of September at this point. You just can't rely on the guy to stay healthy. I think, you know, he's never really been in Ryan Poles' plans as part of this offensive line moving forward, but he's just one of those guys where he's talented enough that you insert him now. Obviously, I think with an injury like this, it puts him behind the eight ball. If Cody Whitehair's playing well at left guard, if their offensive line is going well, when he's healthy, I don't even know if they're going to insert him right back in there immediately just because of all the things I've talked about here. Where are you with Tevin Jenkins in terms of when he's on the field and, and, and playing? And do you see any upside here? Is the injury risk just too much? Yeah, well, I, I think when Tevin Jenkins is healthy, keep in mind, he started and finished six games in his NFL career. He's, you know, that that's a problem in its own. Even if you take out the the rookie year, your back injury and all the other stuff, like he still only started and played, played and finished six games last year. That's That's still a big problem. So uh, my thing is, is I think Tevin Jenkins could be really good. I think Tevin Jenkins, as he is right now, is probably average to slightly above average with some fun play in between. I think, you know, like I think that's fair to say, but I think that the ceiling becomes extremely limited when you can't stay out on the field. And I think that that's something that they're going to have to weigh in. Like you pointed out, I don't think it's an accident, man. I don't think it's an accident that Cody Whitehair slid back out the left guard. 
I don't. I don't think this is a situation where, oh, well, Cody Whitehair's hands a little banged up, and and we trust Lucas Patrick at, at center. Lucas Patrick played guard without without issue last. I mean, he wasn't good, but he played it without issue, without question, whatever, because of his hand. And now you're telling me that they couldn't just simply say, okay, we like Cody Whitehair at center, so we're going to figure out left guard. We're not, we're going to you know we're going to pit Lucas Patrick with uh, you know uh, Jatari Carter. We're going to figure out who the best guy is, or you know whatever. You get my point. The fact that they willingly moved him back out to left guard tells me that that there is at least a path, like you said, to where if this line is playing well, whether it's Dan Feeney uh, at center, which I actually think it's going to be Dan Feeney. I'm, I guess I'm a little bit the opposite of you. I actually think that that's who it's going to be starting because I don't trust the fact that the Lucas Patrick's actually going to be healthy yeah. enough to play, you know? so I won't argue. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at this point in time, I mean, the quality of player – Probably not that different. They got a below average center, bottom line. Yeah, exactly. Best. So at best. But the fact that they were so willing to move Cody Whitehair back out the left guard. And then again, Ryan Poles was asked today. Uh Matt Eberflues was asked last week. There doesn't really seem to be a rush to get him back to center. So again, that's not good. That's not to say that, you know, that that uh Tevin Jenkins is going to come back and he's not going to have a spot. What I think it says is that the Bears are preparing to simply say, hey. This offensive line is working the way it's working. We like it. You're going to be a great depth piece. Offensive linemen get hurt all the time. You'll get a shot eventually. This is the group we're rolling with. I'm not saying that's a guarantee that's going to happen. I'm not even saying it's a probability, but I'm simply saying that based off this move and how comfortable they seem to be and their lack of willingness to move him back, especially considering his hand injury is not that serious, I think that there's at least a thought process to say, hey, we're going to roll with a guy that is at least a little bit more reliable in the health department. And, you know, availability is huge, man. It doesn't matter how high your ceiling Absolutely. is. It doesn't matter how good you are. If you're missing over half the season, every season, it doesn't matter how good you are. Yeah. And I, I think there is a, if the bears can get a six round pick, next year for Tevin Jenkins, I think you could absolutely see him get traded. You know, someone may sit there and love the potential too much, and I think Ryan Poles may be like, all right, it's it's time to move on. Now, want to ask you a little bit about the running back room, because to me, this is the most underrated thing Ryan Poles did the entire offseason. And I've said this probably five times on my podcast in the last five months, or four months, is how much I like what he's done to the running back room. And it's not just Roshan Johnson and the guys he signed, the two vets he signed. It's the fact that he has so much depth and unique abilities amongst these players for just a ridiculously affordable price. The four halfbacks, forget Blasing game, the four halfbacks, that's who I'm, I'm focused on here. They make less money combined than David Montgomery's average yearly salary now with the Detroit Lions. So he is spending basically no money at running back and he's got Rashawn Johnson, who he's got control for four years. He's got another two years of Khalil Herbert. Those two guys look like they could really complement each other really well. And then you go a little bit further down. Deonto Foreman is a great third running back to have in terms of if one of those guys gets banged up to have another guy to, to take some carries. Obviously, I think he's going to get in games anyway, but he, he can shoulder more load if need be. And Travis Homer, who's a special teams player, but is going to be utilized on third downs because he's got a great catch rate out of the backfield. He can pick up seven, eight yards on a regular basis out there, and he's a great blocker. So you're not looking for Travis Homer to have five carries and 20 yards each game, but you are looking for him to have some third down snaps probably, 
you know, keep some guys off Justin Fields' back and sneak out into the flat and get a few yards if Justin Fields can't find anyone open. Yeah, well, and it's funny as you were as you were talking about because one of the things that I think is most important about this running back backfield is, like you said, the price. I mean, just combined, just the five guys, including Kari Blossom, game combined, are making seven point six nine seven million dollars this year. So, I mean, we're talking less than $8 million a year. Like you said, David Montgomery got what he ended up getting, six, six and a half. Yeah. It's like you take Kari Blossom games, $2 million cap hit out of that. And, yeah, you're talking about a $5.5 million running back room. And I'm right there with you because – and I know this this just wasn't popular at the time and it just seems like everybody's forgot about it or, you know, whatever. Maybe they just finally accepted that it was really true – I think that the Bears have a better fitting running back room right now with the stylists, uh, the, the stylistic matchups that they're going to be able to produce, whether it's, you know, Khalil Herbert being that speed guy, um, you know, whether it's uh, Roshan Johnson that kind of has a blend of the both, um, you know, is also a very physical guy as well. And then Deontay Foreman, who, frankly, I mean, they're kind of one and the same, obviously, I think Foreman's probably a little bit more physical, but I do think that Roshan Johnson's a little bit more athletic. But it's like you get those three guys, just those three guys together. And to me, that's a much better running back room than it was last year where Luke Getze very clearly wanted to – he wanted to have a committee, but he didn't have the skill set that he needed to be able to do it. And I think that that's kind of a big thing where it's like nobody ever said David Montgomery was a bad running back, right? But I think – there's a difference between being a legitimately good to very good running back and where David Montgomery was, where I would say slightly above average, right? Where it's like, yeah, sure. he's, he's going to have those games for you. He's going to break a ton of tackles at times. And then he's going to also have those games for you where it's like, he can't seem to you know find a hole to save his life. And he's getting one to two yards to carry every single time. So I think that now you're talking about, you know, a, a trio of running backs that, like I said, I mean, Khalil Herberts, he's got some physicality to him as well. I think the big thing with him coming into this offseason was, can he pass block? Can he catch the ball out of the backfield? Well, at least according to the coaching staff, and obviously we saw a little bit in that last preseason game, he, he had a drop, but at least according to the coaching staff, that has been a huge thing of his that he's improved on. And, you know, he's been handed basically the running back 1A job for the time being right and then obviously you got johnson and, and foreman as well so and then you know homer too depending on what they want to do but they have better pass blockers they have a lot more versatility i i don't know that you can ask for anything different and that was why i was so against the whole jonathan taylor idea to begin with why would you go out and pay a guy 14 <laughs> to 15 million dollars a year and give up that draft capital when you have a running back room that is going to fit what this this team wants to do better, and you're going to have more depth in the process for literally a fraction of the price. Yeah, that that was that was a ridiculous rumor, and a, there was there's just no no point to really even consider it a, an actual an actual possibility. So let's uh, let's wrap up talking the offense with obviously the the, the weapons here, and let, let's obviously focus on, on this group. You know, we'll do tight ends and receivers together. Mercedes Lewis, I think he's going to help Darnell Wright a lot. I think you're going to see Lewis line up on the right side regularly next you know in tight next to right and give him a boost there as Wright gets his 
his his NFL feet set here these these first you know week half half the year whatever it might be. So I like the Lewis move, but more so, you know, and forget, you know, Valus and forget ESB and, and, you know, Tyler Scott, you know, I like that, but, you know, he's he's not going to be on the field. Let's talk, you know, too often. Let's talk about these three receivers and let's talk about Komet and Tanyan. Is this group for you? To me, this group is finally at least NFL average, maybe slightly above average, which based on you had arguably, especially once Darnell Mooney was hurt and what you were getting out of Claypool, the worst set of weapons in the NFL last season, which was just brutal for Justin Fields. I think it's elevated to the point where it's probably league average, maybe even slightly above 13th, 14th in the league, the, this group here. So where are you with this? Are you comfortable with this group? And how well do you think this is going to come together with Fields? You know, I'm absolutely comfortable with this group. I think one of the big questions I had moving into this offseason is how are they going to find that number one receiver, right? You know, whether you want to call him receiver one, or whatever your top target, your, you know, your, the, the guy that changes the way that the defensive coordinator is scheming for your offense against your offense, that, that is the kind of guy that they needed. And it's like, you looked at the free agent market, you looked at what appeared to be the trade market. There wasn't a whole lot out there. So the fact that they were able to pull DJ Moore was huge because he's a multiplier Obviously, he's the number one receiver for this group, but he kicks everybody down a notch, right, where it's like all of a sudden Darnell Mooney doesn't need to be that number one guy. Chase Claypool doesn't need to be the the $30 million a year receiver that uh, that Mike Florio said that he was going to be when he came over the Bears. Like all of the expectations for those guys goes down because you have an established threat in D.J. Moore. And, and obviously, Tyler Scott's another one that I think is going to be good. Um, you know, it's just going to take some time. And they have, but they have the ability to allow him to develop. And I think that's definitely a big thing. Tight end wise, I would say it's above average. I mean, I'm not super high on Cole Komet. I think he he is what he is. But I think that it was, I, you know, obviously the money was a little bit more than I would have wanted to pay somebody like that. But at the same time, I think when you combine what he does with a guy like Robert Tunyon, I think it makes sense. Um, and then obviously, like you said, with Mercedes Lewis as well, being that kind of that blocking guy. Again, they have some versatility there where now you're not asking Cole Komet to go out and run routes and be a Travis Kelsey, right? You're, you're simply asking him, hey, man, you're going to be the inline guy. We're going to go to you in the red zone, which I think he really needs to improve on. Uh, you're going to be a blocker. You're going to be kind of the, you know, the short yardage guy. And then Robert Tunyon is going to be the guy that, you know, basically plays the same role that he did in Green Bay, where he can go over the middle. He can, you know, he can, he can make plays, but you're not relying on either one of those guys to get seven, 800 yards, maybe combined between the two, seven, 800 yards. Great. But I think that overall, as long as this group stays healthy, knock on wood, because health has been a huge issue for this team so far, if they can stay healthy, I don't see any reason why we can't be talking about this group as, you know, top 12 to 15 unit by the end of the year, just, you know, receivers and, and tight ends combined. I think that that is going to be the saving grace for Justin Fields, even if the offensive line struggles at the beginning of the year. All right. And then last thing here, and then we'll do a little bit on the defense before we wrap up Luke Getze. Do you have confidence in Luke Getze as a play caller and running an offense? Mm, I don't know, man. I'm on the fence. I, I want to like him. I want to be as excited as I was last year when they brought him in to be the offensive coordinator. Uh, but I have a lot of questions on the coaching staff in general, not really in a bad way, but what did, did we really get the coaching staff? Like, did we really get how they're going to be, or did we get a 
dumbed down version and a conservative version of a team that knew that they were going to be bad last year and ultimately seemed like they were tanking the last half of the year. So the bottom line, you still need players. Exactly. So get Bill Belichick. <laughs> yeah, that, that is very true. So <laughs> Getsy falls into the category of I have optimism, but I also have probably an equal amount of skepticism, um, especially just his overall philosophies and and and, and his trust in the passing game and his ability to actually trust the passing game as the game goes on, even if things aren't going good. All right, let's switch over on the defensive side of the ball and ask you a few questions here before we wrap up. Let's start with the the big money guy that the, you know, the big splash in free agency, Tremaine Edmonds. I know a lot of bears fans were excited, you know, Chicago bears, linebackers, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> we, we, we know the whole story there, but Edmonds is, you know, for me, Edmonds is a good player. I'm not going to sit there and argue and say it was a bad signing, but I'm not a guy that likes to spend money on linebackers. I know they had money to spend, and Edmonds is very good at what he does, at least he was last year. Hopefully that wasn't a contract year type of thing and he regresses. I don't think he will. I think he's going to be out to – I think I feel like he's a guy that wants to prove mm-hmm. that he was worth every penny. Some guys are like that. Some guys aren't. Um, you know, Chase Claypool – I don't know if Chase Claypool is going to want to, if, if the Bears extend him, I don't know if Chase Claypool is a guy I would trust to play really well after a big contract. But Edmonds, I do trust just the vibe I get from the from the player. Did you, Are you okay spending big money on a linebacker? And, and your thoughts on kind of Edward Sanborn, Sewell, and the rest of the group there? Yeah, uh, I'm – I'm okay with it. I I guess I was a little, I'll be honest, I was a little caught off guard because I thought after last year when they traded Roquan Smith, I'm like, okay, well, they just simply don't value the linebacker position that much. That was my entire, like when I was building out my my offseason, like my mock offseason, I'm like, okay, well, let's, you know, they'll go out and they'll sign a guy like Bobby Okarike, right? They're going to go out and sign that guy because he's going to be like $10 million or less. Never in a million years did I think that their biggest free agent contract that they signed this year was going to be to an inside linebacker. The fact that they are, the, the fact that they are using $24.5 million in average salary towards two linebackers is shocking to me. And again, it's not a knock, but it's it's just not something that I was expecting. Now, obviously, Matt Eberflus feels very strongly about those linebackers and the fact that that's going to be a big part of his defense. I don't disagree because I think if we go back to last year, let's be honest, man, Roquan Smith did not play that well for the Bears for the majority of that time. Uh, Jack Sanborn had his moments, but Jack Sanborn is also a limited athlete in a lot of ways. So I think when you when you look at it, well, I mean, look at Nicholas Moreau. I mean, they they there was so much hype for that guy coming in. He played average at best. I'll be nice about it. Guess who's not on an NFL roster? As yeah, of, he got cut as, from the Eagles. Exactly. And then he was supposed to be a guy that was basically one of the value guys that was going to come in and, and start or whatever. So I think that they obviously needed a huge uh, – they needed a huge boost there. It will be interesting to see how well that investment pays off of time. I guess that would be the way that I put it. Again, I'm not knocking it, but – you don't see a lot of teams going out and, and investing that type of money into their linebacking group. No, you don't. And it's it's definitely boosted to the point where the back seven of this defense is certainly going to be the strength. So let, let's talk about the rest of that secondary because the starting five, you know, let's include it as a, as a nickel base, the starting five in the, in the secondary I think is fantastic. I think Jackson, you know, Brisker's still got some limitations. He's still developing, but Jackson and Brisker, I think, complement each other really well at the safety position. I think, you know, 
for what brisker is. I, I understand, you know, you want to do too deep and you want versatility, but I think it's going to be kind of, you know, Jackson and Amos. Uh, I, I think brisker can kind of play that role and get up in the box more and for, you know, allow Eddie to do things he's better at rather than things he has to do, you know, because there's just no one else who can do it. And I think the three corners, Tyreek Stevenson, I think is going to be a lot of fun, but there's going to be some growing pains there. You're going to have some, some defensive holding and first downs on, you know, on, on, you know, second and 12, where you're just getting frustrated that they got a free first down. You're, you're, you know, you're going to see him get torched a little bit here or there, but he's going to make some plays. He's going to piss off some wide receivers. <laughs> and, and I think overall, I think bears fans are going to like him. And I think he'll get better as the season goes on. Jalen Johnson's playing for a contract. If he stays on the field, I think he's going to be very motivated and play very well around a boosted group around him. And Kyler Gordon, I think a lot of us wanted to see him regularly inside, you know, playing the nickel position where we're going to see him this year. And I think he's going to play well in it. So how do you, you know, depth, obviously, you know, we talked about safety depth earlier, not great, you know, and the rest of the depth, you know, Blackwell's all right, you know, you know, Jones, you know, kind of see here on the, the rest of this wide receiver group, but kind of where are you with this secondary? Are you comfortable with it? And then a little bit on the depth. Yeah. So I'm absolutely more than comfortable with what they've done in the secondary. I mean, I, I think if you go back and you look at it, it's like, I mean, they have a trio of second round picks that are going to be starting at corner for them. They got another second round pick and Jaquan Brister at safety. And then they got Eddie Jackson, who at one point was one of the best, if not the best safety in the league and has slowly returned to that form. In my opinion, I think Eddie Jackson was absolutely awesome for the most part last year. So I think, I think the big thing with the secondary is it's not about the floor for me, right? Obviously these guys got to stay healthy. The floor I'm not concerned about at all. Like you said, you're going to get some up and down from Tyreek Stevenson. We saw that in the preseason. That's definitely not going to change during the regular season. If Kyler Gordon takes a step up, man, this secondary is going to be damn good. Um, but I'm more than comfortable with the floor. I'm actually, I, I guess I'm more optimistic or interested to see how high is the ceiling for this group? Because you know, by a lot of people's counts, I mean, Jaquan Brisker was a highly rated safety last year. I mean, obviously he was taken in the second round. I saw people having him go at the back half of the first round, you know, mock drafts. Like this is a guy that you could very easily see, maybe not as one of the elite safeties, but in that really good category every single year. Eddie Jackson, we already know what he can do. Um, as far as the depth goes, I think I look at it, I'm, I'm comfortable with the depth uh, – at corner, because I think, you know, obviously you have your three starters. Um, then you also have Terrell Smith, who I think is going to end up being, I honestly, I thought Terrell Smith could have gone in the third or fourth round. I don't think anybody would have blinked. Yeah, like, I really like that for sure. Yeah. And I really like where they're at there. Um, Jalen Jones is as fine as death job depth in the Josh Blackwell, I think is, is going to be more than fine too, especially, you know, what he contributes on special teams. Safety is a little bit questionable, um, I'm a little heartbroken that uh, DeAndre Houston Carson is very, right there clearly, very clearly not coming back. I thought maybe my Bernie Sanders meme would have worked, but it <laughs> didn't. That was the first time I've done that. Uh, but yeah, I, I think overall, man, this is a good. This is a. It's a good group. I think it's a very underrated group, and I think that the ceiling for this group is is scary high. But I think some of that's going to feed in on what happens on the defensive line as well. Yeah, and that was exactly. That was like you stole my transition. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, let's let's move over to the defensive line because clearly this is this is the most question marks here. I, I you know I still don't even quite understand the the con, the construction of this group. I you know <laughs> if, I don't know who's backing up at nose tackle. You know one tech, 
because uh, I guess it's Zach Pickens, but I don't understand why Zach Pickens would be playing nose tackle at all because that's not what he was good at in college. So I have I have questions up and down here. You know, the, the Pickens move and, and the Dexter move, you know, for where they are and, and the potential. All right. I, I, I'm OK with those those picks. I, there were some other picks I, I may have considered over those two guys. I know a lot of fans are hyped about, you know, a couple of the plays they've made in the preseason. Obviously, you need to see if that, you know, translates over to the regular season. You know, Justin Jones and Andrew Billings, I don't expect to be here next year. These are just kind of stopgap guys until, you know, Bell and Pickens and 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 uh, Dexter can can get some reps under them and, and get some more time. And, and we've talked about Edge a little bit. Ngakwe, I, I, you know, he can get to the quarterback. He, you know, I know the Bears said they're not worried about his ability to stop the run. I don't they know why be. that's the case because they if you watch, go, go find some Ngakwe tape on YouTube. There's plenty of Olay plays where they, he does not set the edge well, but that's okay. I wanted Ngakwe. That was the guy I've been you know pounding the table for. They needed a guy who just can pin his ears back and get to the quarterback. So I think this is still probably one of the worst groups in the uh, – in the league in terms of defensive line, if you include edge and, and interior, I, I basically to Robert Schmitz, I had him out at the start of training camp. I said, you know, if you're a little kid and you want to ride a roller coaster and you're like six inches short, you know, and that you must be this high to, to ride the, you know, must, must be this tall to ride this ride. You're Never six had inches that short. <laughs> yeah. Aaron Levy did not have that problem. <clears throat> Excuse me. You're six inches short one summer. You come back next year, hoping you grew enough. Now you're still two inches short. What they did, they improved this defensive line, but they didn't improve it enough. It wasn't possible, really, to improve it enough in one off season. It's definitely the weakest point of this team, offense and defense, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, well, I mean, if we're being honest, the only <coughs> path, like, and I did this when I was going through the offseason, I was going through and trying to figure out, you know, before free agency and even tags that happened, I was going through and I was trying to figure out how do you fix this defensive line in one offseason? And frankly, the only scenario that I could come up with was that Deron Payne had to not get tagged and they had to not trade down low enough. And obviously this is before everything happened with Jalen Carter, but you, you had to not trade down low enough to be able to get Jalen Carter within the first like two or three picks of the draft. Well, obviously Deron Payne ends up getting tagged and then, you know, uh, the whole thing with Carter happens. Bears still had a chance at nine crazy enough and obviously didn't take it. Another completely, completely different topic, whatever. But that was the only way, really. I mean, if you look at it, because you look at the free agents, like one of the best free agent edge rushers on the market happened to be a guy that they signed literally into training camp and Yanni Kangakwe. So there just wasn't a lot. And I think when you when you look at it, like I know a lot of people were upset during the draft. OK, but really, if you if you go back and say, OK, if you don't take Darnell right, right and you just you go with let's just say you go with Jalen Carter. You're still at a spot where where edge rusher. It's like, what were you going to take, Lucas Van Ness? I, I I don't know about you, but I wouldn't have felt comfortable no. with that at, at nine. So you start looking, and obviously you'd like to have the pick for number thirty-two from Claypool back, but you don't. So you're picking right where you were picking with uh, Javon Dexter. Dude, there was not an edge worth taking, man. They had a huge run at edge. So it's just one of those sometimes things break the way that they break, and. Would I have rather had certain players other than Dexter um, and or Pickens? Sure. Um, I, I couldn't, uh, you know, I'd be lying if I said I didn't, but I understand what they're trying to do. And I think the big thing here is, especially within the trenches, same thing with the offensive line for as bad as they were in the trenches, this is not a one year rebuild. This is a multiple year rebuild to even get close to having quote unquote good units. So 
it, really what this comes down to, and I agree with you, uh, you know, I, I think that Jones and Billings, their stop gaps, uh, ultimately you would like to see uh, Pickens and, and, and Dexter playing more at the end of the year. Uh, my biggest confusion, especially on the interior defensive line, their evaluations of Pickens and, and, and uh, Dexter are confusing to me because, like, if you watch both of their tape, like going back to college, flip them, you know, like yeah. it, Pickens no, should no be argument. playing three tech, right? You know, and, and, and Dexter should be playing the nose or whatever. And it's, then you go back and you watch them during the preseason. And guess who's getting after the quarterback relatively often? Their nose tackle that doesn't stop the run very well and, and Zach Pickens. <laughs> so that's the kind of stuff where it's like even last year with, with Roquan Smith where it's like they put Roquan Smith, in my opinion, for the scheme. They didn't put him in a, a very good position to succeed, and I feel like they're doing that with these two right now. So it's not to be negative, but it's also one of those like I, I don't understand how you could watch – what they did in college and come away with, yeah, uh, you know, Dexter's going to be the better three tech and Zach Pickens is absolutely a nose tackle because those should be flipped 100% in my opinion. All right. So we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up with this record prediction. Uh, I had them at eight and nine in the spring. I'm going to stick with it, but with kind of the caveat that I would say, I think the odds are better. They win seven games than nine games. If I'm going to, you know, you know, do a little variance off the eight wins. So I, I'm going to stick with it, though. I'll keep them at eight and nine. How do you think this team fares this year? I'm right there with you. Um, I, I feel so. Here's the thing. I feel like going into going into camp in the preseason, my expectations were the offensive line was going to be healthy. This team was going to be relatively healthy, which they are. Um, but I thought they were going to play more together. I thought we we're going to get a better warm and fuzzy. I thought, you know, we'd get out, we'd see Justin Fields behind, you know, the offensive line, everything would look a little bit better. We'd, you know, whatever. So the fact is, obviously, we didn't see any of that. Um, but also the fact is, is that this time last year, I was convinced that the Seattle Seahawks were going to be one of the three worst teams in football. And obviously, I was dead wrong on that. And the entire reason why I felt that way is because I watched them during the preseason, especially against the Bears, and they looked awful. So there's only so much you can take away from preseason. We live in the moment a lot. I preach this literally right before training camp started. Nobody cares about training camp practices once the preseason happens. Nobody cares about preseason once the regular season happens. Well, guess what? Regular season's right around the corner. I'm not going to deviate from my pick. Here, here's my take on why I think, you know, seven to nine wins is a relatively safe, you know, assumption or expectation. They play in one of the worst divisions of football. Uh, for as much hype as there is around the Detroit Lions, they're still very much an unproven. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is no longer in the division. Minnesota is going to regress. There's absolutely no way they're going to win 13 games again this year, especially what they did last year. Look at the NFC. I mean, outside of, I mean, I guess you could say San Francisco, even though I think they have some quarterback questions. Uh, outside of the Eagles and the Cowboys, there's not, I mean, the, the, it, you're in the right conference to have an up-and-coming quarterback with the young sure. roster, I guess is all I'm saying. So, I don't know. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I think they could be pushing for a playoff spot. Um, come yeah, I, think, I think you'll see December. them in, in the hunt on yeah. the graphics. And that's fine. Year two of a complete rebuild after winning three games and having the number one overall pick, that's absolutely fine. I just think you need to see some sort of progress to know you're in the right direction. I think the biggest thing, and I think we all agree with this, we have to know Justin Fields is a guy by the end of this year. If he's not – 
you're going to have two first round picks, but it, you're going to have to really figure everything out from there, um, which is another reason why I think the Bears were smart not to go after a Jonathan Taylor, not to go after a Chris Jones. Don't make that Khalil Mack move until you know for absolute sure that you have the right quarterback in-house. All right, you brought it up. So I'll do one last question here as a guy that I know watches a lot of college football and the fact that this will piss off Bears fans. So we'll have fun with it. All right. Bears do pretty well. They win seven, eight, nine games, like you said. The Carolina Panthers collapse and go two and fifteen. Bryce Young is a disaster out there, and they have the number one pick in the draft again. Is there anything Justin Fields can do where you do not want to draft Caleb Williams? I think if if Justin Fields makes the year three leap that Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts did, I'm comfortable saying, hey, Justin Fields is our guy. Let's roll. You anything short a call to trade away Caleb Williams. Exactly. Anything like three first to three seconds. Like they oh, will, yeah. you, you will get the farm. Oh yeah. Anything short of that. And, and again, and this is not this really, this has so little to do with Justin Fields and absolutely everything to do with how I feel about Caleb Williams. And I've said this multiple times. It's not just because I'm an Oklahoma fan and I've seen him and you know, I'm a homer or whatever. Like obviously he's not with Oklahoma anymore. The minute that he stepped out on the field against Texas, I'm telling you this right now, man, he had it. Like, as a freshman, stepping out on the field, taking them all the way from as far as they were back, he had the it factor. Obviously, he had some freshman moments, whatever. Caleb Williams is special, man. Like, I know generational talent gets thrown around a lot. I, And, again, I'm not, I'm not a quarterback guru. I'm not a draft guru. I – it's been a long time since I've felt as confident and as sure about any prospect as I do about Caleb Williams. I don't think Caleb Williams is just going to be good in the NFL. I think Caleb Williams is going to be a certified star. I think he's going to be on the level of Patrick Mahomes. I don't think the comps to Patrick Mahomes are crazy. I really don't. Like, I think he's going to be that good. So that's why I say, unless Justin Fields makes that leap to where you say, we've got ourselves a bona fide top five to top seven quarterback that we know that can take us to a Super Bowl, not, you know, come with us to a Super Bowl, but take us to a Super Bowl and win it. If you don't have that going into year four where you're going to have to pay him and you have the number one pick, you absolutely take Caleb Williams. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. Because, again, they could – they with the fifth-year option, they don't have to pay Justin Fields the next year. They could wait one more year. But if this is a Daniel Jones-Kyler Murray extension where you're not 100% sure you mm-hmm. should be doing this – that's why I, w- I agree with you. That's that's where the issue is. The Chicago Bears, if they're going to – they need to be so confident in Justin Fields that they want to give him $270 million next year because that's basically the incremental – that's basically where it'll be, you know, Trevor Lawrence, 265 whatever it might be. Yeah. They have to be confident that they want to give that to him next year before it gets any higher. They have to be that confident because I'm, I'm there with you. Caleb Williams, I think, will be a top three quarterback. Like, you know, basically Joe Burrow, you know, different style, but Joe Burrow, he'll be a top three quarterback within a couple of years of the league. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And, and I don't think it's – I don't think it's unreasonable to have the expectation that Justin Fields becomes at least 90% or so of what the quarterback that we expected. Now, you know, I, I think the absolute worst thing that they can do – after this year is still not know if he's the guy or not, um, whether that's injury, whether that's anything. And I know a lot of people are going to disagree, uh, but I, that's where I'm at. Like you absolutely have to know he's either the guy or he's not. Like if you have any questions moving into next year and you're in an advantageous position with two first round picks, if one of those first round picks is high and you can make a move and you don't feel like he's the guy, I think you have to move on. Now, 
I'll say this with a caveat. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think Justin Fields is going to take a really good step this year. I think we're going to end, we're going to end this year, whether they're in the playoffs or not, thinking basically how a lot of people feel about the Detroit Lions right now outside of the quarterback situation where this team could win the division. This team should be competing at least to you know win a few games in the playoffs. If we don't feel that way about the Bears coming out of this year, I'm going to be concerned. But I'm just going to go into this assuming that it's going to be a building block year, that there's going to be some good, that there's going to be some bad. But again, biggest thing out of all this, Justin Fields, we have to know that he's a guy when this is all said and done. I am right there with you. Aaron Lemming, at Aaron Lemming NFL. That's one M, not two M's, L-E-M-I-N-G. I'm sure you all follow him on Twitter. I, I promote people that come on this podcast like they follow me and don't follow the guest, which never happens. But <laughs> at Aaron Lemming NFL on Twitter slash X. Aaron, thanks for so much time. Enjoyed it. And we'll talk to you in a year. <laughs> Absolutely, man. I'm looking forward to it already. All right. There he is. Aaron Lemon, everybody. Always love that conversation with Aaron. We go in depth and really kind of break it all down, get you ready for the regular season. We'll be back next week for a podcast. You know, we'll talk more specifically about the Packers game and get everybody ready for week one, working on a guest for that as we speak. But that that was there right there to really get you get you in your teeth into the Chicago Bears roster and everything there. And I agree with pretty much everything Aaron, Aaron has to say. You know, we, we usually are pretty lockstep in our thoughts, and and I'm right there with you. This roster is vastly improved from last year, but it still has a lot of question marks. I think Ryan Pohl said he's improved. He's got about 80% of the roster overturned. But that's the thing, that that 80%, that's, that's I, I think, kind of BS. You know, the, the, the bottom, you know, what, 25% of the roster, that's just constantly interchangeable and, and churning. When he talks about 80%, he's talking about key players, you know, that top 30, I would say. He's saying he still needs six more starters. He needs more than six more starters. But he is well on his way. Because, again, offensive line, if you really want to boost the offensive line next year, you got to take a tackle again in the first round, like a Fashanu. That's, that's the kind of boost you have to do, which means Braxton Jones. What are you doing with Braxton Jones? You've got to really be confident next year that Brax, you know, after this year that Braxton Jones is your left tackle of the future. You're not going to get, you know, a guard or a center that's just going to shock this offensive line into being a top five unit. There is going to be a huge focus on the defensive line. They'll see where Dexter and Pickens are after this year, but they're going to, I would think, have a sign an edge and draft an edge in the first round. They're probably going to hit up a safety kind of early second, third round because of Eddie Jackson's age. Cornerback, we don't know if Jalen Johnson's going to be here next year. There's plenty of question marks on this roster still, but it is trending in the right direction despite, despite some of the holes on this roster still. So that is good to see, obviously. So that's going to do it for Bears Banter. We will start getting into that regular schedule where you'll see us regularly on Wednesdays, give or take a day, depending on the guest schedule of who we line up for this podcast. But we'll be talking Bears all season long. It is finally, finally here. Bear down, everybody. We'll talk to you next week and preview the Packers game. Adios.